This is the ICO Alert Podcast, Episode 2. I'm your host, Robert Finch, founder of ICO Alert. ICO Alert is the trusted source for analysis of ICOs, otherwise known as initial coin offerings. We maintain a comprehensive list of ICOs on our website at icoalert.com. If you're new to the ICO space or even the blockchain space, don't worry, we've got you covered. Head to start.icoalert.com where we have helpful introductions to this exciting new world. These include introductions about ICOs and introductions about the blockchain space in general. That's start, S-T-A-R-T, dot icoalert.com. My guests today are Robin Linus and Elian Shin, two of the three creators of Namik. During the podcast, we'll talk about the Namik platform, how they plan to solve the blockchain payments problem once and for all. Plus, we'll also talk about a new, currently unannounced feature of their platform. Without further ado, let's get to it. My guests today are Robin Linus and Elian Shin, two of the three creators of Namik, a browser-based blockchain. Robin and Elian, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. It's great to have you. Um, I think a great place to get started, just for some of the listeners that aren't familiar with Namik, um, could you talk a little bit about what it is and what the platform offers? Namik is uh, the first browser-based blockchain. And the general idea was um, to lower the barriers of entry by orders of magnitudes. And that's why we've ported blockchain technology to be compatible with your browser so it becomes installation free and everyone can join the network without an intermediary um, just by clicking a link. That's awesome. So how does that work? I mean, do I have a wallet in the browser that I'm using to access the network? How does the blockchain sync? Could you walk me through that? Um, everything lives inside of your browser. So uh, we use the index DB. <laughs> to uh, store your, your private key inside of your browser. It never leaves your browser if you don't want to. And um, there will in, in, in the mainnet, there will also be functionality uh, to export your private key, like um, in an encrypted file or to, to print it in a, in a paper wallet. And um, the syncing, the syncing works um, like your browser connects to the network and we use the mini blockchain scheme to sync faster than most other blockchains. So um, that enables your browser to just download a couple megabytes of um, especially um, headers, block headers, instead of full blocks. And um, then it also requests some slices of the accounts tree to prove your balance and uh, to make you participate without a trusted third party. Interesting. So essentially, what you all have done is created an entirely new blockchain that's only accessible from the browser, or is there another way that, that users can access it? Um, you can also use Node.js. Okay. And probably in the future, there will be clients written in other languages, like, I don't know, Python or Java, or maybe even C++. Um, and then you should be able to connect with any language, and not just with browsers. Interesting. So, I mean, the concept of a, a browser-based blockchain is, is pretty fascinating to me. And for our listeners who aren't as familiar with this space, essentially, current blockchain technology generally requires you to download the entire blockchain, which is this huge uh, multi-gigabyte file of all the transactions on a ledger. Exactly. Um, and you have to sort of keep that in sync as you're going going along and, and making new transactions. And it, it's a very cumbersome process. And I guess what Namik does is essentially allows anybody to access that blockchain at any time through their browser. Is that correct? 
Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The big the, the big difference is that um, you you don't require to install anything, right? So normally you have a client you, that you need to install and run, um, and you have a client for macOS, you have a client for Windows, you have all these different clients that then through your client you connect to the network. Um, the other the only other option so far that people had would that they would have to go to a if they wanted to go through the browser they would have to connect to a third a trusted third party you know like a Coinbase or uh, so on and so forth that would connect you to the blockchain. So now you become a, we like to call it a first class participant of the network. There's nobody between you and the network necessary and you don't have to install any uh, sort of client. You just open the browser window and you're part of the network. Interesting. So is the entire network secured by these browser nodes or is there something else? Like, is there another type of node that's, that's, actually verifying the entire blockchain and not not verifying the compressed version that's keeping the network running? Yes. Um, we have something called backbone nodes. Um, backbone nodes, they are uh, the, based on Node.js and uh, they live on servers. And um, probably the professional miners, they will run Node.js nodes because it's just easier to, to run them on a server than uh, keeping your browser window open all day. Okay, interesting. So this being an entirely new blockchain, I mean, most people who are listening probably know about Bitcoin and they know about Ethereum and maybe they know about Lisk or some of these other uh, new blockchains that are popping up. But what makes Namik different? Are you guys trying to, to build smart tracks in a better way? Do you solve a scalability issue? Like what's your value add to the space here? Um, we want to solve the problem of mainstream adoption. We want to build a blockchain that everybody can use. Payment protocol. With very largely with, with a pure focus on building the most efficient frictionless payment protocol. Exactly. Interesting. So, so no, no overhead of, of, of uh, you know, complex smart contracts or anything of that sort. It's going to be fully streamlined to be the most number one frictionless pro uh, payment protocol on the web. So you all are, are focused strictly on payments. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, very interesting. So do you all see, and I was reading through some of your white paper and and you guys kind of mentioned this interoperability between um, the Namik blockchain and then the Ethereum or the Bitcoin blockchains. And I was curious if you could walk me through sort of how that works, but also the benefits you might get from that. Like, are you actually able to access the smart contract system of Ethereum, but use your Namik coins to do so? Exactly, yeah. Um, there is a concept uh, called the Lightning Network, Probably you've heard about it. Um, people have invented it to solve the scalability issues of, of blockchains. And um, to do so, they have invented something called hash time lock contracts. And they provide you with a lot of functionality that is quite awesome. And uh, one functionality that it provides you with is uh, that it enables you to do cross-chain transactions. So from one blockchain to another. And we will use this feature to be compatible um, with Ethereum because we really like the smart contract functionalities, but we didn't want to re-implement them because um, Ethereum is already doing a great job at that. And um, we wanted to focus our protocol as much as possible on the payments and to simplify everything so that the protocol scales very well. Yeah, so how does that process actually work? Like if I want to to make a smart contract on Ethereum and somehow use my Namik tokens? I mean, how is the, and, and I think a lot of our listeners will have this question also, how, how is the token actually transferred or is there a placeholder token in between that's used? 
Um, it's more like uh, you do a contract with like, hmm, how to explain it perfectly. Um, you are on the Nimic blockchain and you want to trade with somebody who is on the Ethereum blockchain. Okay. And want to exchange Nimics, uh, uh, like want to exchange Nimics for Ethereum. And um, what you do basically is um, you will lock funds on the Nimic blockchain with a password. And the other party will lock funds with the same password on the Ethereum blockchain. And once you've released the password, uh, you can you can exchange. Like you can have the Ethereum that were locked in the Ethereum blockchain, and the other party can have the Nimics that were locked in the Nimic blockchain. Okay, so is it only used for a trade then, like trading between Nimic tokens and Ethereum tokens, or is there actually a way to use the Nimic tokens with an Ethereum smart contract, for example? Um, once you have solved this problem of interoperability, then you can send funds directly to a smart contract in Ethereum. Okay, so then I could actually use the smart contract system of Ethereum with Nimic tokens. Yeah, exactly. If I understand Robin correctly, so what you're doing, you're basically shooting into the smart contract on Ethereum, the same as you were to submit Ethereum into the contract in order to execute a certain logic. You could use, you could send a Nimic which would then be converted and you have a still a frictionless kind of process. That's wow, that's wrong. interesting. Okay, and then so essentially it's a seamless process because then when you're converting back to Nimic from Ethereum, I assume that it just transfers it back in some way? Yes. Okay, wow, that's interesting. I mean, going back to the, the storage of all this, I mean, I understand that you guys are simplifying things and, and lowering the barrier to adoption and I did try out your beta net um, on your website, which I thought was was pretty fascinating, where you can just kind of set it up to to go ahead and mine and, and look at all the nodes that you're connected to on the network. And syncing the blockchain was very fast, which I was very impressed by. Um, but since everything's stored in my browser, you know, many people today, they, they obviously use their mobile phone, their, their smartphone, they have a desktop, some of them have a, a laptop that they're using or an iPad also. Am I able to transfer my account between all of the browsers or, is, or am I stuck with whatever browser my account is is in? No, of course. Uh, you're able um, to export your private key from the first browser and import it into the next one. We have not implemented this in the, in the beta net. Um, the beta net is a lot of, like, it's, it's, it's testing for us. It's not meant to be the real thing. We have not implemented something like private key encryption and all those features that you would need for, for the main net. Um, but we will ship those features so that you can just very easily switch your accounts from one browser to another and from one device to another. You can already, I don't know if you tried just for the uh, for kicks of it, you you know the transactions are already implemented, of course, so you can already send yourself from one browser to your mobile phone uh, funds that you mined. I don't know if you looked at the bottom right. But that right. wouldn't be like using the same account on two No, that, that's not using the same account, yeah. But it will be possible. Yeah, you Consolidate your funds already just just in the in in the current test scenario again this is like Robin describes it's 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 for showing people that we've actually solved the real hard work we've we we're able to have a blockchain browser based it does not have all the bells and whistles yeah. yes that the, that a final you know otherwise we wouldn't be doing the token sale but the whole point is that's that's the event that'll take us through to the mainnet and um, actually beyond that will also allow us to to you know, build some of the ecosystem applications that will sit on top of this blockchain and make it truly usable. Basically, yeah. a whole 360 
uh, payment solution. Right. So what happens if I reset my browser? Like if I go in and I clear my history and clear my cookies, is my wallet gone or is it stored some, somewhere else in my browser? Um, in this beta net, it would be just gone. The, <laughs> this is not optimal, but uh, I think in the beta net, it is okay. Um, in the main net, it will not be the case. Like in the main net, we will tell you as a user that you should at first back up your private key in like a paper wallet or in an encrypted file so that the browser is not the only, uh, not the only place where your private key is stored. So this is the first step. And the second step is that um, there are a couple of modern browser APIs, um, namely the persistent storage API. And this helps you to store uh, the keys more aggressively, I'd say, because then your browser will ask you if you really want to delete these keys. Oh, okay, like, interesting. It is a new, it is a new API that um, yeah makes really persistent storage possible. So just just to clarify again, so the, the we also in the beta net. I don't know if, if there's a disclaimer before you join the beta net that it is a, it should be expected that um, you know you can, that those are not persistent right now. The anemic that you're mining, you know, we, we, we may, it's actually interesting that we haven't had to, it just shows that we actually did a, uh, a very thorough job already so far. We have not had to reset the net uh, so far, even though yeah. we're, we're about to cross 20,000 blocks mine, which wow. is quite a, you know, quite an achievement for a, for a beta net. Um, and so, but but we were actually thinking that in advance when we created the disclaimer, we said clearly, you know, there might be resets of the net and this and that, and you're going to lose, you know, all your or your nimic that you mined and so on and so forth. So yeah, it's not designed to secure those because it's the reset will happen anyway before the mainnet launch, right? So this is really for for demonstration, demonstration and purpose. play purposes. But obviously, for the real thing, um, you will have a wallet set up. The same way, you know, that that wallets wallet setups happen yeah. today on on my Ether wallet and whatnot, where they're linked also to maybe to passwords and whatnot. Yeah, what we have now is demonstrating the uh, the protocol and not the ecosystem. We that, have yeah, exactly. We have not demonstrated the ecosystem yet. Okay. Yeah, yeah and we have not created a wallet to show off on top of our blockchain. We're showing off the blockchain because that's the core that needs to be that needed to be solved. Yeah. You know? And that is actually the hardest part of everything. Like wallets and all that stuff, we don't need to innovate that much in that field because there are already lots of good solutions that we just need to follow. Interesting. So going back to the sort of the, the barrier to entry and the whole browser-based blockchain lowering that barrier to entry, do you think that requiring users or prompting users to you know back up their keys right away or, or back up an encrypted key file or whatever it may be or, or make a paper wallet i mean don't you think that that's kind of undoing a lot of the the barrier to entry that you just lowered and raising that barrier back up there will be trade-offs um maybe we will not force users to create a cold wallet for 10 bucks or so but um once the amount is like higher than a hundred dollars or so, then we would explicitly tell the user, hey, your funds are getting uh, too high for this level of security. We will recommend you to um, go to the next level of security and follow those steps. It's actually kind of, a, we, we, we've talked about this a lot because it really kind of reflects the real world. Uh, you know, everybody has their kind of 
kind of own relationships to how much they carry in a wallet, right? But, but let's say you probably the amount that you carry in your loose, uh, uh, kind of the amount of loose change you carry around, you, you, you do so knowing that if you lost your wallet, it, you know, it won't, it won't hurt you too much. And the same way I think is, is again, when you do talk about mainstream adoption, I think you have to look at the same trade-offs. So you're going to make these decisions based on uh, effort versus uh, security, security and, and so for, for smaller amounts, you have one level of security. And then I think if I'm not mistaken, even the, the, the bigger services out there also, they differentiate between vaults and, and, right. and I guess, day-to-day wallet, wallets. And the vaults being the kind of, you know, kind of advanced wallets where the steps to move funds in and out are a lot more involved. Um, maybe even have a time lock and these kind of things. So I think, again, it's like Robin says, it's not about innovating there. It's about looking what are the, the sensible approaches out there and then kind of just matching matching security with with simplicity levels and um, being, being a certain level of common sense. Yeah, but definitely I mean, having a simple first in, that's the absolute most important. So that my mom, that my mom will be able to pay for, for coffee you know, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. So how would she, let's say your mom wants to buy coffee with Namik tokens. How would she actually get into it? I mean, is there a way, uh, aside from an exchange, which I think is still a very, um, non-user friendly process, especially if you're somebody who's totally new to, to the space, is there a way that they can like enter in a debit card and buy Namik tokens or, or do they have to go through an exchange to do so? Um, yes, exactly. Like we have, we have figured out that the exchange process is probably one of the biggest issues from a usability point of view because even my, my, my nerdiest friends don't know how to buy bitcoins. They have tried to and they failed and like this is an issue. And we want to solve that with a peer-to-peer -peer exchange. Um, on top of our protocol, because it is already web-based, it will be not that hard to build a web-based peer-to-peer exchange that actually runs on top of our blockchain protocol. And um, with that, we want to lower barriers of entry um, again by orders of magnitudes by just matching the people who want to get in or out of the currency on a global scale and uh, to make it very easy for them to uh, exchange into NIMIC or from NIMIC. Right. So from a conceptual level, I mean, that makes a lot of sense and sounds great that, that you would have a peer-to-peer -peer exchange and I want to get into NIMIC, you want to get out and we can kind of make that trade. But how does that process actually work? Like, if I'm trying to get into it, am I linking a debit card or am I linking my bank account? Like, how am I transferring my fiat currency to you in exchange for the Namik? Um, probably with Visa. Like, Visa offers um, APIs, and we are already talking um, with um, payment gateways um, to partner with them. And we want to use Visa APIs for people um, yeah, to, to come from fiat and to exchange into Namik. Oh, okay, interesting. So then what's the... And and I, I'm not trying to grill you here or anything. This is just how we sort of get in depth, play devil's advocate. Um, what's the sure. the benefit of using an Amik token then over Visa? Like, what's what's the incentive for somebody to go in and say, okay, I'm going to take my USD that's on my Visa card and I'm going to convert it into Namik before I spend it on something or or send a payment to somebody else? Um, what's what's the benefit there of doing so? It's cheaper and faster. Okay, so this would be like, oh, I want to send money to somebody in Brazil. I'm going to do so through Namik because then I don't have to pay a, a huge fee. Exactly, yeah. Okay. And especially like cross borders, um, it becomes way more expensive if you if you use Visa or PayPal or like the um, 
the commercial payment providers. Right. So do you see this as like uh, mostly being remittances or, or do you actually see it as people like buying a coffee with Namik and, and doing their everyday purchases with Namik? I think that the latter is, is definitely a long-term vision. Yeah. I mean, the, the, imagine, I mean, I, I don't know how crazy it sounds, but really we're in it for the long run and we really believe there is, there is a number one slot to be taken. And I think that's what we're shooting for. We're not trying to build just another blockchain on the on the block, so to speak. So we're really trying to. We realize there's weaknesses still in in the big systems right now. You know, including Bitcoin and Ethereum. Ethereum lacking focus. They they're doing the smart smart contract thing, and that's very good. I think there's absolutely should be room for that, and and that's what they should be doing. Blockchain was the first one they they established Bitcoin. the space. Uh, sorry, Bitcoin established the 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 space and it's an absolute genius thing that that happened but it it's clear that there's certain limitations and i think uh it's kind of like a maturing process right bitcoin having been around about eight years or so we're now at a stage where the mature product should come out um with focus and that's kind of where we see us and we're going to be the ones who are going to push uh being the number one blockchain based payment protocol and that does include in the long run absolutely my mom paying for the coffee right because of of it being uh scalable low cost instant um all these features that are kind of the limitations of the current uh, of the current solutions right and um of course it has to do with with adoption and it will take some time and um but but that's that's the ultimate goal yeah, and I, and I definitely agree. I mean, I think, you know, what first sparked my interest in Namik was was first that you guys were focused exclusively on payments, and then second that it was browser based. And I think it's kind of ironic now that you know we have all these really complex blockchains that do really cool things that I think a, a lot of which sort of started out as payments being the goal. Like with Bitcoin in particular, it started out oh we can do affordable payments, the transaction fee is so low, um, it's so quick relative to the traditional networks like uh, sending a bank wire. And now as, as the technology has gotten more popular, obviously we've seen that that's not really possible with a lot of these scalability issues. And I think as a result, we're seeing Bitcoin be more of a store of value um, than with Ethereum. You know, now, like you're saying, it's it's mostly focused on smart contracts and less on payments. So I don't think somebody, even with these large established networks, has solved the payment issue yet. So it'll be interesting to see if if something like Namik could solve that issue. Yeah. And, and let me actually say one more thing, step back, because you mentioned how will my mom get into this? Yeah. So here's another another big one that's not yet released uh, that's actually in the works right now it's kind of there's a preview on it on on the website but um we call it i think we call it cash links but basically what we're able to do is we're going to be able to generate links that represent that securely represent um nimic a certain value of nimic so i as ilion will be able to to you know if i have a certain amount of nimic in my account i can say hey mom by the way i'm going to send you your first nimic in your lifetime and i'm going to send them to her either via email or via whatsapp or facebook messenger because all she's going to get she's not yet in the network by any means she's going to get this message and it'll say hey you know alien just sent you whatever you know 3.5 nimic and she's going to be able to click on that link and because all of this is web-based all it's going to do is open a web page and all of a sudden my mom a, a wallet is generated for her and she's already accepting her first 3.5 Nimic into her, into her wallet. And it'll open up the first door for her 
to step into this world. She's like, oh, I just received this. Wow, and, uh, okay. And the, the, the amazing thing is we have already tried that in a, in a prototype kind of setting. That was the whole way we, we, we did this uh, several months ago to look at, at what, was the, you know, what was the community reaction to, to the people we exposed the, a prototype to. And that was a killer feature. I mean, you have no idea what the reaction was. People started sending around these these links that contained money and opened opened them. I mean, contained Nimik and opened them and would see their balance and were then able to take part of that balance and send it to the next person. And so the viral um, properties of this uh, and and the fact that you could so easily then distribute um you know ownership in nimic um that's that's what i see as a whole nother level of what we haven't even exposed yet um yeah. it's something that we're working on and like we, we like to do things solid as you may have witnessed so we're not just pushing it out just uh, just to show anything but we're going to do it uh in time and we're going to do it right and that feature in itself though is going to be i think another breakthrough yeah, and that to me feels feels very exciting and feels like the the killer feature that really does lower the barrier to entry. Because when we're talking about a previous conversation about like having to input a visa number and then getting sent the Namik and then doing the transfer, of course that that still does dramatically lower the barrier uh, to entry compared to the current standard. But I think being able to send somebody just a link that that contains essentially um, from a conceptual standpoint contains the Namik within the link. I mean that that to me is pretty amazing. And it's really safe because the way it's going to work is my mom is going to get that link and it's going to be basically exist in a temporary wallet and she's going to retrieve it from that, right? And if she doesn't pick it up, I can always, until the time that she actually chooses to receive it into her wallet, I will be able to re, um, how do you call it? Like, like I, 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 can, I can refund it to myself until she picks it up. Uh, okay, interesting. Um, interesting point here is... Um, in, in that vision paper, I pointed out the word um, payment experience. And um, I think that's a very Im in important concept because um, PayPal or like Visa or so, they, they spend millions on um, streamlining the payment process such that it becomes very, very frictionless. And um, to the whole concept of payment experience, there's like a new component to that that was more or less introduced by Venmo. I don't know if you know it. Yeah. Uh, they they provide something like a social payment experience. They make it a social a social thing that I can send uh, money to my friends and I see their history and stuff like that. And um, it becomes more like a messenger. And we want to bring that concept to cryptocurrency. And the cash links are the first step to do so. Yeah, that's great. Is is that a way that you see? people just sending Namik between themselves, between existing users on the network, or will that be done with the wallet? Yeah. The, the wallet is the, well, it is a feature of the wallet it's to a create of the wallet. cash links. Yeah, exactly. Okay, you could I send see. money to an address, or you could use cash links and create a cash link and then send this via any messenger or like email. And so then let's say we would send you, so I would have my wallet and I would have the option to either say, uh, let me get Robert's Robert's address and send it to this directly within the network, or I'm just going to create this link that's going to contain X amount of NIMIC and send it to you via Skype here, let's say. And then you would see the link come in and you're like, oh, cool, Elion just sent me this, this, this cash link, three and a half NIMIC. Boom, you click on it and, it and you would then 
it would on your computer obviously you would then it would then prompt you would recognize that if you already have a wallet it would basically say hey do you want to receive this into your into your into this nimic wallet and then you say yes or you can create a new wallet and then that's it yeah that's great i mean that 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 like i said uh, not to repeat myself too many times but that that seems to me that it solves that that barrier to entry issue and really really allows people to get in and and i'm sure um the crypto community will take that and run with it and and really try to get people on board by by sending it out but um one thing I did want to talk about, uh, just to kind of pivot here a little bit, is scalability. So obviously, we've seen recently a hot topic in the Ethereum community and, and especially Bitcoin community um, has been the issue of scalability. So for the listeners that aren't aren't familiar with this, Bitcoin limits the number of transactions per second because each block where a certain number of transactions are confirmed is fixed to a certain size. Um, and there's this big debate within the community of should we increase that cap or should we not? Should we just keep it as the original Bitcoin in a store of value? And then similarly, but in a, a different kind of concept with Ethereum, we're seeing anytime a very popular ICO is launched, that so many transactions flood the network that then it becomes very difficult, if not impossible, to send your Ethereum for a day or sometimes even two days at a time, like we saw with the status ICO. So I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on sort of the scalability of the Namik network. Do you all have a transactions per second cap or is it just something that's that's totally infinitely scalable and how does that all work? Um, we will have... Mm, just like Bitcoin on-chain transaction cap. So this will be limited, but we want to build the Lightning Network right into the protocol before the release to not have those uh, minor politics issue that Bitcoin is dealing with right now, like SegWit and all that stuff. And um, then we will uh, be able to do off-chain transactions on, uh, on our protocol and they scale almost infinitely. Okay, so theoretically, you would be able to to handle as many transactions per second as you'd like, assuming you get a huge influx of users. Yes. Okay. Very cool. And I think I think again, uh, and Robin can correct me here if I'm wrong. The the even yes, absolutely. The the fact that we're so focused and streamlined streamlining our protocol for payment means that it's already even if you were just to take on chain transactions already by um, certain amounts more you know more scalable but the, the yeah, thing it's, is it's yeah. a bit more scalable because um like we have reduced our protocol to just payments we focus our protocol on payments so there are no scripts or whatever in in our protocol and that makes it possible to uh, have transactions that are a little smaller than in the bitcoin or in the ethereum network and um having um the same parameters as bitcoin like one megabyte block size and like 10, 10 minutes um, block time, we would have a little higher transaction rate because we have smaller transactions. But that wouldn't solve the scalability issue. It would just like help us to, to scale a bit better, but like not to, to be scalable. The scalability only comes from the Lightning Network. Right. And so that's something that, that you all plan to, to have ready for the mainnet launch of Namik, correct? Um, the... The cryptographic primitives, we will have them in the protocol before the mainnet launch to prevent minor politics and stuff like that. Um, but we are not certain if we will have built the, the, the whole infrastructure that you need on top of those primitives. Okay. And do you have a timeline? Of the protocol. Do you have a timeline for when that would be? I mean, obviously, the you would probably have you know, some amount of time as, as the, the platform gets more and more popular. But exactly. do you have a, a rough idea of when that, that might launch? 
um, mid 2018. Okay, very cool. So that's that's actually uh, fairly soon. I'm sure in, in terms of a crypto timeline, that's that's ages. But uh, in terms of the real world <laughs> timeline, that's that's definitely soon. Um, well, in terms of in terms of when it's needed, it'll be in time. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. That's the main point by far. You know. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, talking about um, minor minor uh, politics. Um, so you guys are launching with a proof of work blockchain, and for people who are listening that don't know what that is, proof of work is just um, a system that essentially allows miners to mine new currency. That's from like a very high conceptual level. And if either of you, Eliana Robin, want to sort of add to that, that'd be great as well. Um, but I thought it was interesting in your white paper, you sort of alluded to or mentioned that you'd like to switch to proof of stake in the future. And proof of stake um, is essentially a way that uh, you can eliminate the entire mining uh, from the token generation and, and transaction confirmation system and essentially just allow people to stake the existing coins they have in their wallet to become these transaction validators. So my question for you all is really, if if you see proof of stake as the future and you see proof of stake as the most ideal form that your blockchain could launch as, why are you launching as proof of work first? Why not just launch as proof of stake out of the gate? Um, yeah, it's quite simple, actually. Um, it would be ideal to have a proof of stake blockchain but I don't think that the research is ready yet. Like I have not seen any algorithm that I would fully trust. And there is, as far as I know, there is no algorithm that has been tested on, on a large scale. And this, uh, there's no algorithm that is trustworthy enough yet. But we think um, the community is very active. A lot of people, a lot of very smart people are, are researching on that topic and we are following their research very closely. And as soon as we can, we would like to to switch direction and go to proof of stake once it makes sense from a technical point of view. Okay. And is that something that, that you all think you will develop um, since there isn't something sort of out there that, that you could use as uh, a standard right now? Or are you going to sort of wait for another platform like Ethereum to do it first? Um, probably we will wait for others to do it first. Um, like. We don't see ourselves as um, like the genius blockchain researchers. We think there are people out there who are way better at doing the research, but we implement the most cutting-edge research and the most promising research. Interesting. So It's the engineering portion that yeah. we're extremely uniquely good at. Okay, so the... Yeah, very good engineers. And the, ana and the, ana and the ana analysis of, of the research out there. So, you know, yeah. and that's what makes sense because we want to build a solid system. Okay, that's interesting. So, so in terms of innovation on the Namik blockchain, are you going to sort of wait for for any new features to to exist in the crypto space before you implement them, or will there be additional features or improvements to Namik that that you would implement yourselves before someone else does? Just from like yeah, an abstract, both. I'd say both. Like, and we will try to um, work as closely as possible with those researchers to um, so so that they can uh, advise us. Um, because I don't think it makes a lot of sense to to take like untested um, technology and just implement it and push it out there. We would be we would need to be very careful with that. Um, so we would probably work with others who already are working in the same direction and join forces. Okay, interesting. And this kind of brings me to my next question, which would be. You know, sort of going back to the point that that no existing blockchain has really solved the the payments issue and made it super easy and lowered the barrier to entry. Um, what would happen if and and do you think it's possible that one of the existing blockchains, like Ethereum, for example, would implement 
um, some kind of a software update with either Raiden or Metropolis, a, a few updates that are coming in the future. Do you think that they would implement something like you all are doing and kind of solve that payment issue ahead of time? Um, I think they cannot solve it by the route as we do. Like, I think to, to really solve the payment protocol, uh, payment problem, you will need to come up with a protocol that is designed to do so. And the Ethereum protocol is not de designed for simplicity. It's designed to solve the general problem of smart contracts. And as far as I understand it, they could not just take the protocol and port it to the web and, and be just as frictionless as, as a protocol that is designed for the web. I don't know if it's a good analogy, but it's kind of saying you're building, you're building this complex truck and you want it to be a race car, you know, rather than just building a race car. All the ingredients you're taking are absolutely optimized to run the track the fastest way in Monaco. And here yeah. you are trying to put more horsepower on this, on this, on this complex bus. And yeah, this bus can do a lot of things. It can take all these tourists and, and you can put so much horsepower in it, but it's not going to take the turn around that corner <laughs> as fast as a race car. And it just, no matter how much you engineer it, and yeah, you can put aluminum and this and make it lighter and titanium that and increase the horsepower, but it's still, it still kind of is this large complex structure that you're trying to move. And I think, I don't know, I mean, Robin, again, he needs to correct me if I'm crazy with those analogies, but it, it, it's, I think that's kind of what he's getting at, that the fact that this is from scratch designed uh, to do that one thing and to do that one thing very, very well, and not at last browser-based, which, you know, again, it makes it so easy for developers to sit on top for this whole ecosystem to 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 easily link into. Like that example I just said with sending sending Nimic links, you know, to my mom in a messenger. I think that combination is just a killer combination. Yeah, and honestly, I think, uh, and Robin, assuming that that uh, analogy is accurate, which I think it is, uh, I think that's a great analogy. And I think it speaks um, to more than just the payments issue, but also some of these scalability issues um, that Ethereum's having where they've sort of built the system where all the payments run on the main chain and now they're trying to sort of solve it. So. I think that that's a great analogy. Um, and I think that would be a great place to kind of pivot also and talk about the specifics of your ICO. Um, so of course at ICO Alert, we cover um, all of the active and upcoming ICOs and we, we try to um, educate our users on the specifics of each of these token sales. So it was curious to me, I, I read through your white paper and then I read through your, your token sale uh, details and sort of the specifics of what you all were offering. And I noticed something, it, it seems to me, and, and feel free to jump in at any point, it seems to me that there are two types of tokens that are being sold, or, or rather one that's being sold and one that will actually exist on the mainnet of the future. So it seems that people are buying NET net in the crowd sale, which are essentially placeholder Ethereum tokens, and then later they're transferring them to NIM, Namik tokens. Is, is that correct? Yes, correct, yeah. Okay, so the sort of running into my next question, why is it then, so... If I, if I put in one Ether into the crowd sale, for the first two weeks, I'm going to get 175 NET, 175 net. But then I also notice that you have a conversion rate of net to NIM of 10 net to one NIM. So effectively, one Ether is getting me 17.5 NIM. Why is That's that? Right. And, and why not just do a one-to-one -one ratio between the net and the NIM? Uh, the, main, the main reason that we were told is that there are just some smaller participants um, to, to whom, you know, bigger like round numbers and owning 
whole units of something of a token is just seems is is easier in the beginning. It's it's pretty much only for that, so that you can participate with less than an ether, and still own full digit type of tokens. It's that's all it pretty much is. So your intention essentially is just to though do one ether for seventeen and a half nim. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's no hiding behind that fact, and I think the the people that are looking at that and analyzing it, they're everybody's well aware of it. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. It's just something I. But it just makes it easier for smaller participants. Again, we want to be open to, to you know any any level of the community and and smaller participants that that you know not everybody might even be able to participate with a full ether. So, it's it's pretty much just just taking care of that. So is the is the reason why you wouldn't do one ether equals one hundred seventy five nim that that just the max amount or the total supply of nim is limited, so you wouldn't be able to do that rate. Um, I'm not sure if I understand that. So essentially, my question is, why even have this placeholder rate where the placeholder is greater than than what you're eventually going to get? Why not just make the number that they're eventually going to get if the goal is participation? Um, Well, again, because because then in their their wallet will show them, let's say, you know, one. You could buy one net right now instead of zero point one net. That's that's the whole difference, and that that is an amount that you you can buy with. Um, you know, a fraction of an ether, and you still get a full net, a full NET. You know, that's, I understand that, but why even yeah. have the intermediary step? Why not just reduce the price of the NIM and allow people to get a full NIM instead of having to get a oh, full? Be, yeah, net? because there's a limitation on the amount of NIM. Oh, okay, okay, that answers the question. Yeah, yeah. there's only a million, uh, a million fifty thousand NIM, which is the five five percent of the of the total final uh, supply that's ever going to be in existence, right? Okay, interesting. And I assume the rest will will be generated through mining. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Very I mean, interesting. As, as the, the terms are displaying, there's there's one percent that goes to the creators, but it's vesting over four years. Um, there's two and a half percent for the endowment uh, foundation that's going to secure uh, on the long run. That's also it's vesting over ten years. That's securing over the long run the maintenance and and growth of the network. Um, then there's a two percent uh, of total supply that also vests over ten years. That goes to a, a good cause foundation. We personally believe that is something that's just in the spirit of what we do. We want to give back uh, by creating this, the, uh, by creating Nimic. Um, but we're not taking it from anybody in that sense. It's just that if the network is successful, those two percent over time will be uh, have some sort of a value, and this 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 foundation for the good cause, this nonprofit, can then. Uh, you know, use that to do good. Um, we'll identify the idea is to identify individuals that that have uh, projects of of high social or ecological impact to support them. Those are all again, they're vesting a long time, and so yeah, the miners and the participants of the token sales are the only ones who, from day one, are going to um, have tokens on the platform. Okay, and so let's say I go in and uh, I contribute one ether and I get 175 net. When will my net be converted to NIM? So about what about two months before we we know that the the mainnet is going to be ready for launch. There's going to be a, a redemption period, an exchange period where um, people convert them. Okay, cool. So just right before the mainnet launches, you'll sort of get your allocation in net in, in NIM. But of course, uh, ten net for every one NIM. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and we'll provide the users with a tool to create NIMIC accounts. And then they take the NIMIC account number, send it to the smart contract, and exchange their nets for NIMs there. 
Okay, and do you anticipate that nets will be tradable before the Nimic mainnet goes live and that and that transfer happens? Yes, it is a standard uh, EC20 token. ERC20. Uh, sorry, ERC20 token, and uh, it will be tradable right after the after the sale. Once the sale closes, um, they they should become tradable, and uh, I think we're also in touch. We're looking to to get the uh, exchange, like a I think Liquid.io and, and and that that type of exchanges to um, to trade it. Yeah. Very cool. Awesome. Well, I think uh, that's a great place to start. If, if either of you or, or both of you would like to sort of wrap up with um, a closing statement about Namik and, and where anybody that's listening can learn more about it, that'd be great. Robin, go ahead. Yeah, we are building a payment protocol so simple that your mom will use it. That's awesome. And where can uh, people find out more about Namik? Uh, so the, the, this is actually an important one. I think um, for security reasons, anybody who's interested in participating, the only valid source for any information and also for the address in the end to, to participate, the Ethereum address, it's going to be uh, on nimic.com. That is N-I-M-I-Q.com. Um, there will be a section that you can follow through to. It, it's uh, going to be token sale or get token. Uh, you're going to be led through, uh, through just a couple of steps um, that will in the end reveal the address. And that's the only uh, uh, correct site to go to anything else uh, would be a security risk if you read somewhere that says oh send it here and you're going to get something no um, very very important obviously and you can read up on nimic.com uh, should have all the links you see the links to the, the, the beta net you see the links to the team you see the links to our blog the blog is our main mean, means of communicating um, any details uh in and, up, in and around the network, the terms. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's anything else we can we can tell where people can find it, but pretty much Nimic.com should provide. Awesome, that sounds great. Well, uh, Elian and Robin, thank you so much for joining me today. It's uh, It's been great chatting with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much to everyone who listened to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to request someone to be on the podcast in the future, we're trying to cover all ICOs. So that includes the past ICOs, present ICOs that are currently active, as well as, like you saw today, ICOs that are happening in the future. Head on over to icoalert.com forward slash podcast, where you can submit your choice for who you want to see on the podcast next. Thank you all so much for listening. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and check out icoalert.com for our in-depth analysis of upcoming ICOs, as well as our comprehensive list of every initial coin offering. I'm your host, Robert Finch, and I'll be back next week with a brand new episode.